I'll tell you about a young Sunday school boy. His name was Joe Tucker. He's uh, kind of third grade age. He was, uh, well, let's just say that Joe's parents, when they dropped him off at Sunday school, uh, he was a mischievous kid. And a lot of people thought they brought him there, not so much so that Joe could get a Christian education, but just so that they would have an hour without Joe. <laughs> When the teacher asked the class about today, about Palm Sunday, about what, what Jesus did, there were a whole bunch of kids in the class who knew the story, and they'd probably waved the palms, and they'd shouted Hosanna, and they'd been part of all of those celebrations. But when she continued asking about it, well, Joe, as Joe often did, was the one who stuck up his hand, and he blurted out and answered the question, what was Palm Sunday all about? And Jesus said, well, he... He went to set up the Red Cross in Jerusalem and a bunch of stuff like that. It turns out he's not too far off, young Joe. Palm Sunday is kind of a strange day on the Christian calendar. Not strange because it's lacking in celebration or lacking in motion, but because there's just so many different emotions associated with it. I want you to listen to the story again and listen carefully to the different emotions that accompany this day, Palm Sunday. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open them up with me in the Gospel of Matthew, in verse in chapter 21. You heard some of these verses as we launched the service. I want you to hear them again, and again, be listening for the variety of different emotions that are swirling around the activities from the dis- different perspectives, from the themes at work. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem, as they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt, and untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This all took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples, they went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. And they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks out on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, that prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. In many ways, the Palm Sunday story is a puzzling one when you read it carefully. There's the emotions of the day. There's, If you read back a chapter, there's Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, uh, just subject to all of these emotions of deep sadness and pain. And then there's the ecstasy of the crowds, those delirious shouts, Hosanna, like a parade as he makes his way into the city. There's the ambiguity of the crowd surrounding Jesus. In fact, probably not a crowd, but 
but a number of different crowds. There was the emotional crowd who shouted out, blessed is this one who's coming in the name of the Lord. Most of the people in that crowd were the ones who probably already knew Jesus. Maybe they were from Galilee. Scripture tells us they were enamored with him. They were impressed by Jesus, impressed by his words, and impressed by his teaching. And likely they expected Jesus to use some of that wondrous power, some of those persuasive words to overthrow the Roman government, to finally give them what they had wanted for so long and been denied for centuries, to give them freedom. So there's ecstasy and there's expectation in that crowd. But there's a second crowd, just kind of the curious ones. This is the crowd that forms whenever a crowd forms. You've been part of those, right? Why is there a crowd over there? I'm going to go see. And suddenly you've got a crowd around the crowd. These are the curious ones who wanted to know what all the fuss is about. Who is this? They asked. Who is this? But there's a third crowd there. A third crowd, maybe watching from a distance, watching with skepticism. These are the crowds of those who are left wondering, what are we going to do with this man? These are the critics of Jesus. Many of them, they were members of the existing religious establishment. And they were threatened by him because they knew that he had the ability to change what they held to so dearly. There's nothing quite like a threat to the establishment to get the establishment worried. And we watch as all of those conflicting emotions and all those powerful forces are swirling around Jesus. And we're left kind of wondering, well, what's really happening? Is this just a day about waving a little bit of greenery and singing some songs? What's really going on? And here's the answer. Palm Sunday is the first time that Jesus goes public with his true identity. This is the first time. See, every other time that you get a glimpse of it, the light bulb would go on for somebody, maybe one of his disciples. He would say, don't say anything to anyone yet. Those of you who have done a little bit of Bible studies or college, sometimes we call this the messianic secret. There's nothing like scholars to come up with big words for little concepts, but this one is not little. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the, the one promised by God to usher in a whole new age in the life of the world. That, that promise. Whenever somebody would begin to see that it was happening in him, you'd say, don't say anything yet. Hold on to it. The time is not ready yet. Well, this is the day that the time was ready. This is the day that Jesus goes public with his identity. Palm Sunday would be for the crowds and for those who are close to to Jesus. This would be a moment of decision. When they were confronted with the reality of who he was and they would be confronted again in the days to come with the reality of why he came. And it would push them towards a decision. And from this moment on, make no mistake about why Jesus was here. He's coming to Jerusalem. Ultimately, his death on the cross. This is not just a tragic misunderstanding. This isn't just confusion over his claims. Men and women would either follow him as the one sent by God, or they would fade back into the confusion of the marketplace. They would either deny him as the Messiah, the Christ, or they would accept him as Lord of their lives. That is the decision 
that looms before the world on Palm Sunday. You know, the fact that that Christianity following Jesus requires a decision, I know that makes people uncomfortable. But great leaders, great leaders are always those, those people who have a way of defining the issues of life and demanding that a choice be made. Jesus is a great leader. Palm Sunday is the day of decision. In fact, the Bible is a book of decision. Choose for yourself this day, Joshua said, whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus simpled it right up. He said, follow me. Make your choice. Take your stand. Come, follow me. And some did. Some took their step of faith. Matthew left behind his tax table and his accounting charts. Peter and James and John left behind their boats and their fishing nets. But there were other people who were given the same choice and they just found it too much. A wealthy young man just couldn't make the decision. He was curious about Jesus, but he came to understand that the commitment to follow him would be life-changing. And it wasn't a life change he was ready for. He couldn't make the decision. That's the way it is with all major life decisions. And certainly the decision to accept Christ as Lord. Someone has said, Christ is either Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. You don't get to sort of thread the needle on that one. Really, the, the strength of being a follower of Jesus, the strength of Christianity, is, is what theologians sometimes call the scandal of particularity. There they go again. Big fancy words. Scandal of particularity means that Christianity goes beyond, it's not primarily about believing in lofty concepts. Christianity has to do with the particulars of our lives. It's why the New Testament is filled with challenges, like the one that's, well, it's so familiar from you wedding goers, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, I'm eloquent, lofty concepts, grandiose ideas, but I don't have love. I'm just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. I'm just making a racket in the world. Too often, I think that's how people see the church. Just making a noisy racket in the world. The scandal of particularity. That, that the impact of Jesus in our lives, that living a with God life, there's evidence of that. You saw evidence of it here. You heard it in the words on the screen. You witnessed it in the lives of those people who are not perfect, but are really giving it their very best because they know that they're not doing it alone. It's not enough just to believe that, that God exists somewhere out there. We invite him in here, in our lives, into our homes, into our marriages, into the work that we do, into the recreation we enjoy. It's one thing to believe in general that, that God forgives, but it's another thing altogether to ask God to forgive us for something particular in our lives, or, or maybe even harder, to give us the ability to be more forgiving when those who have wronged us have wounded us so completely. It means nothing to believe that God can be trusted if we cannot trust him in those hard moments in life. Laura, that was, that was your testimony. 
That God is not the instant solution. Uh, like a winch lowers itself from heaven and whisks us out of pain. But trust in the middle of calamity. Acknowledging God's presence in difficulty. That's, well, that's the scandal of particularity. That God exists not just in here in the grandiosity of worship, but he exists out there in the bump and grind of life. In fact, if he doesn't exist out there, then you kind of wonder what all the fuss is about going on in here. A favorite author of mine, probably not quite as known as he was 30 years ago, but Frank Gable and, uh, was one of the, I think, the the magnificent Christian intellects of the 20th century. And he understood that more than most people. He was educated at Harvard and Oxford. He was well-known as a writer, as a theologian and educator. He founded a prestigious college in upstate New York. He wrote commentaries on the Bible. He was a concert pianist. He just like a polymath. One of those people that makes me wonder, what did I do with my life? But... Late in his career, he became the editor of Christianity Today. In the 1960s, he traveled to Alabama. He was covering one of the civil rights marches on behalf of Christianity Today. He writes about it. He says he was standing on the sidewalk, all kinds of emotions swirling around him in the crowd of that day. He was trying to maintain a kind of journalistic distance and objectivity. He watched as marchers went by holding their signs demanding justice, demanding equality under the Constitution. He heard the voices of hatred being hurled at them from the crowds. Obscenities, insults, just awful rhetoric. And he described the moral crisis that arose inside of him as he witnessed people spitting on the marchers, assaulting them, hurling rocks at them, all the while police refusing to intervene. And he says, surrounded by such hatred and seeing the march continue with courage and without violence, Gabelin said he knew that his following of Jesus, his Christianity, demanded a decision. And so he stepped off the curb and he joined the march. Palm Sunday is kind of a step off the curb Sunday. If Christ is to be Lord of our lives, there are moments in our lives when we need to take the step. To step off the curb, to act on our beliefs, to put feet underneath our faith. At school, for some of us, maybe it, it means saying the hard thing even when it's unpopular. You know what that's like, right? Having to speak a word of truth when you know it's not the word of the day. At work, it might be doing what is fair and just rather than just towing the company line. In business dealings, it might mean being guided by Christian principles, not just by the relentless pursuit of profit. In the church, It might be standing up for some things that really matter in the world and saying, we exist for more than just this. God dreams for so much more for the church than just this. Maybe it's time to step off the curb. You know, when we we talk about making a decision 
for Christ. Normally we mean that first decision, that all-important moment that comes in our lives. And, and maybe some of you are absolutely there this morning, here having seen baptisms, online watching us, and, and God has really been pushing you, and, and this is your moment, and you're going to seize the moment. You're going to make that decision today. And some of you have, and some of you did, and we celebrated with you in baptism. Baptism is kind of a picture, right? It's this, this graphic picture. It's dying to what was, it's being raised to what will be, and then, then living out of the reality of that new life. The scandal of particularity and all of the little decisions today gets to be a decision day for all of us. If you've never stepped off the curb in Jesus' name, we're going we're gonna to give you the opportunity to do that and invite you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe there is another step to be taken. And we're going to invite you to do that today. If you've never been baptized, wow, what a great opportunity for you. Kind of a public way of expressing with your body the decision that you've made. Making it visible. People say, well, do I have to be baptized? No, I mean, it's not magic water. If it were magic water, I'd just scoop a bucket and I'd throw it over you and, and you'd all come to Jesus. It'd be a great moment. But it's not magic water. But let me ask you this. Why, if, if you have placed your life in the hands of Jesus, if you trust him in this, why would you not trust him by doing one of the very few things that he actually asked us to do? Be baptized, he said. The last words that he spoke on earth, go out into all the world, all the nations, and as you're going, teach people to believe the things that I've taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Give them this sacred, visible, tangible reminder of everything that I have done. We were buried with Christ, Paul says. We read those words in the baptistry. Through baptism, in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too get raised up through the glory of the Father to a new life. And i got to tell you, that the joy of getting that right the joy of getting right with God, of having gone down a different road and being able to turn around and saying, God, I, I want to do over. I want to get to know you. I want to be forgiven. I, I want to know grace as more than just a fancy word. I want to declare myself a follower of you. I want my life to matter for eternity. There is, there is nothing like it. Lots of you are new to MCBC. Uh, welcome to your church. Uh, it's been a great, a great joy over these past few weeks discovering who God has led here over these past two years. Some of you have been around for many months. Some of you have been around for many years. Some of you have been around for years and you've stood together in a crowd and said, yeah, I know him, that, that Jesus guy. Yeah. But you've never allowed God to push you to the place where you say, no more messing around. No more just living as a spectator. Today, I'm stepping off the curb. I'm declaring myself. You make the declaration. If you've never been baptized, that's just a way of saying, you know what? I'm going to let the whole world know about it. But I think the real question is this. As you've watched a group of people step out in faith and offer their testimony, as you've clapped, as you've applauded, as, as you've smiled at them, 
Have you felt something going on inside of you? Don't, don't resist the work of the Spirit of God if He's at work in you. Today is a day of decision. Hosanna, one crowd shouted. Days later, another would shout, crucify him. Two extremes. But maybe the, the worst alternative is the one that's in between. Indifference. Just silence. The answer to the question that we give, how we respond to Jesus, is one that, that we give hundreds of times a day. Maybe that's the point of Palm Sunday after all. Not just to remind us that human beings can be fickle and crowds can be divided, that people can be joyful one day and cruel the next, but to remind us that we too need to step off the curb and make a choice. There's no time better than now. The real tragedy of Palm Sunday is is not just that some of the crowd welcomed Jesus and later rose up against him. The real tragedy is that many people just drifted away without making a choice at all. And so the crowds disperse, and the moments pass, and the opportunity is lost. Don't let it pass. God sends a moment of decision into our lives. Don't miss it. It's a step-off-the-curb moment. And let's seize it right now. And let's, let's just give this moment between you and God. And let's, let's pray together. Because we realize that, that God still has a way of breaking through. Sometimes in moments and in ways that we least expect it, that God can still pierce through our defenses and cut to the heart. And if you never have before, maybe in these moments, you can say to him simply this, God, I have regrets in my life. Would you forgive me of the baggage that I carry? I want to stop living my life without you. I want to invite you in. God, I want to surrender. Because I need for Jesus to be more than just a word on my lips. I, I want him as my friend, my guide, my savior. You can begin that life today, a life that stretches from this moment through all eternity. You can pray that right now. And if, if God is tugging at your life to make that commitment or to be, to be baptized in celebration of it, I invite you to have the courage to publicly declare yourself. And you can tell him right now that you matter more to me than anything or anyone. And then at the end of the service, to come and join us. There's a prayer corner in the back of the sanctuary. We have people to be delighted to stand in prayer with you and in celebration. But for all of us, let's pray together. Father, your spirit is at work with us here this morning. Would you cut us to the heart and then heal us? Would you help the people that need to die to the past to do that right now and then bring them back to life? Real life, abundant life in Jesus' name. We pray it in that name. Amen.